Welcome to the True Crypt podcast, where John Digital and I, Lizzie Benito, discuss the discography of an artist that we love. And this season, we are talking about the reluctant fathers of Yacht Rock, Steely Dan. But we are taking another slight left turn this week because we are talking about Walter Becker's second solo album, one we can actually bear to talk about, (laughs) (laughs) Circus Money from 2008. But we're here at the penultimate episodes of season one. All the loose ends are going to start being tied up. Yeah. There are no more Steely Dan records to talk about. They're done and dusted, aren't they? Done, dusted. We've got this record. We've got potentially the last Donald Fagan record. I do hold that hope that he's going to release another album, you know? Yeah, me too. One last hurrah. We should probably talk about how we found this record because I feel like we've got very differing opinions. I don't think we do, actually. So I haven't told you anything about what I think about this record, have I? No. Because the first time I listened to it was a while ago now. I was one Saturday afternoon, I sat down and listened to it and first pass, didn't like it. And I think because I had 11 tracks of whack in my mind, I was honing in on what I considered to be faults. Yeah. Now I've run the process, I've got a very, very different view of the album, which I think you have too. Yeah. There is a difference between listening to a record and hearing records. And when you listen to a record, especially when we're doing this, and so you're listening with purpose, which Mm. we've talked about before, Mm. you really kind of dive in to the record because you're actually trying to understand what the songs are about, Mm. like reading along the lyrics as you're listening. And I find when I do that, the bits in between the lyrics stand out so much more as well. Yeah, that's exactly how it happens. You probably won't believe us when we tell you that Walter's taken a brave new (laughs) dub reggae direction with this album. Which (laughs) I absolutely love. It's honestly like the last thing you'd expect. It's not all dub reggae. Because some of it is just regular reggae. Yeah. And there's one, I think, one tune which is just proper just dub, isn't it? Yeah. Which is really surprising. I I love it though. (laughs) I have to say, I love it too. This record, this is the underrated gem in the catalogue. Yeah. Also, it's really hard to get hold of as well. It's not on your usual streaming devices, etc. It's not an easy record to come by. No, it's about, even on Amazon, it's about 40 quid on CD. Yeah. It's really, really difficult to get hold of, which is really weird because it was released in the UK on a UK label, but I guess it was just a really small pressing. Mm. Um, If you are like a reasonably big fan and you haven't listened to it, you absolutely need to get hold of a copy of it somehow because it's so much more accomplished and confident than 11 Tracks of Whack. Like you can't even compare the two albums. Yeah. It really feels like he's found his groove. And I think it's probably fair to say that one of the reasons why I do actually really like this album is because there are a few moments of Steely Down in it. Yeah. Like the influence is writ large in probably, I say, three songs. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think it tackles a lot of Steely Dan history. Yeah, it does. There's a narrative thread that he picks up in a few areas in this album, which are part of the kind of the Steely Dan canon, I suppose. Yeah, most definitely. I really feel that coming off the back of two really big Steely Dan records, that he finally had his kind of chance to shine on this record. Mm. Yeah. I think this record proves that he is an equal songwriter with Don, where 11 Tracks of Wax, just, it's, it's like, who the hell is this guy? Mm. How did this guy co-write Gaucho? How did this guy co-write like the song, The Royal Scams? It doesn't compute. Like it's not mm. the same person. That in itself is tackled in this record. Mm-hmm. And the arrangements are, are really good. They're really subtle, but there's so much interplay between the players. And, and I think it's because he just picked some, some really strong musicians to play on this record. Because Dean Parks is back. Dean Parks is back for a couple of solos. I have struggled with Walter's voice because he sometimes, to me, sounds quite sort of sleazy. Yeah. But that kind of works for this album, I think. It works with the subject matter, especially in a couple of the songs. Yeah. Characters he's describing. Yeah. But then, on the same, you know, on a different hand, he actually sounds much more confident. And there's a couple of songs where he really belts it out. Yeah. And he sings in quite a high range on a couple of songs as well. Mm. Yeah. Which really surprised me as I was like really getting into the record. I think this is quite a kind of sad, wistful record. Very, very sad. I feel like it's another kind of world weary album, isn't it? It feels like he's like the elder statesman and talking about all of these people and these situations that he's found himself in with a kind of is cynicism the right word I don't know it's um, yeah I do think it's a very cynical record I really don't I I think he's really wearing his heart on his sleeve you know there are a few character songs in here and and I feel like that's him just kind of in a way just kind of flexing that muscle as we know full well at this point Mm. that him and Don can write characters in a song like nobody else can. Yeah, really vividly. Yeah. And and there are a couple of those songs, but even those songs, well, I think we probably just need to talk about the songs. There is one more thing I wanted to say, unless you have anything more to say before we oh, start talking I just, about it. I just wanted to just mention about his use of backing singers in this record, just in the context of his voice, because he is very sleazy and gravelly, but then all of these backing singers he's chosen have got these really kind of sweet voices yeah. that contrast because when I first listened to it I, I hated it I really yeah. found it really incredibly jarring but now I've listened to the album a few more times I get it yeah I get why he was doing that it is creating this almost like a tension yeah and they play a role as well I think yeah they do in the songs it's yeah yeah it's really clever understated there's some really beautiful moments in this album as well yeah when I started taking my notes there were some points where I thought I was going to burst out crying oh John (laughs) I just had this like real swell of emotion around the words and just the way that he puts these songs out. This is a record that only exists in itself. It is like no other record in the back catalogue. There is a heavy poignancy as well, though, because he died. There's one moment in particular that I will pick up that feels especially poignant to me. But that kind of angle that he portrays, it's like him telling stories. 
this wise, world-weary man, of maybe even of a life well-lived, it feels almost like, not like a eulogy, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like a final statement, isn't it? He, obviously, he wouldn't have meant that at the time because he wouldn't have known in 2008 that he was, you know, going to die nine years later. Yeah. Well, maybe he did. Who knows? I wanted to mention that the label this record was released on in the US was actually owned by Jimmy Buffett, which I just find a little bit hilarious. I don't know if you're familiar with the works of, if you've heard the song Cheeseburger in Paradise. Jimmy Buffett's like really big in in the US. You already know about him over here if you're a nerd like me. But yeah, so that record went out on his label. But the other thing I wanted to mention was Larry Klein, who co-wrote all the songs and produced the record. Mm. He is primarily a bass player and he's played bass on some astounding records. He plays bass on So by Peter Gabriel. He plays bass on uh, Boys of Summer by Don Henley. Huh, it's very funny you should say that. Yeah. I'll come to that later. <laughs> so I kind of feel because Walter had somebody to spark off, you know, he was co-writing these songs that mm. it brought out the best of him. Yeah. In the same way that Don and Walt obviously brought out the best of each other. Mm. And that really shows on this record. So let's jump in. Door number two. Door number two. I remember the very first time I heard this song and I just thought, I'm not going to make it through this record. (laughs) It does feel like a bit of a business as usual type song to me. Yeah, I think that's when you first listen to it. I feel that what it's about makes it a really great opener. Okay. It's the narrative thread that it starts in this song because the same themes pop up later on. Yeah. And it's very smart. And it's about opening a door, Mm -hmm. which I really like because the door number two in this song is the other possibility. You're going through door number one, but what would happen if you open door number two? Mm. I just like the, the metaphor of opening a record about opening a door. Oh, that's a nice take. The red do me blue, that line, that yeah. confuses me a bit. Is that a choice thing? It's red pill, blue pill. Well, that's what I thought. And now you said door number two. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Do you reckon he watched The Matrix? I reckon... He was probably the biggest fan. He (laughs) could probably quote it like word for word. Yeah. He's kind of straight away hitting the usual Steely Dan themes, isn't he? We've gone straight to Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. There's no fucking about. Like literally the first verse is like, bang, we're in Vegas. Yep. But we're in Vegas on a very different tack to normal is to my knowledge and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there isn't a Steely Dan song that talks about a mother. No. Parents come up in this album a couple of times. Yeah. I feel like it's a character though. What you mean in the song? I thought each verse of this song was about an individual, but it's an individual person per verse. Yes, it is. So it's like a snapshot of the life, isn't it? Each yeah. One. But then 
the second verse and the third verse feels like they're not distinct enough for them to be two separate people. I think they are. So the first verse, Betsy Button, she's driving to Las Vegas with her kids in the hope that she can gamble and win more money for her and the kids. Yeah, yeah. A roll of dollars for the cookie jar. And you don't know if she does or she doesn't. No, it doesn't tell you. I like that ambiguity. I don't know if we need to actually talk about the song Circus Money at this point as well. Nah. There are parallels here in both songs. You're thinking about the Barker, aren't you? And you're thinking about the Late Late Show. thinking about, yeah, the Late Late Show references, it's the age thing that's confusing me because he says in the second verse, a new hairline, and that doesn't necessarily conjure up an image of a a young person because they need to buy a new hairline. Then the third character, he's minted in the Bahamas, the Bermudas, the Barbados, in a swank hole. It's someone who's much richer. And then the money in the third verse of Circus Money is a higher value. I don't know. They're kind of related. Well, because each character in this, you get an idea that they're at a point in their life. We talked about the first verse, then the second verse is like a slightly older guy. We don't know how old he is, but we assume that he's kind of young and that he's a little bit bright-eyed and he's just like, what's going to happen for me in the city? Am I going to win? Am I going to lose? And again, we don't find out. We don't know. No, I know that Walter, certainly with Circus Money, the song, he wanted it to be in the same way that Steely Dan songs are received and kept completely to the listener's imagination. Yeah, I don't think it is. He literally said that. Did he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they've both said a million times, like, oh, I'm not going to tell you what the song's about. And then you look at the lyrics and you read into it and you're just like, well, it's definitely about this. <laughs> it can't be about anything more than... They just don't want to sit down and explain it to you, do they? They want you to do the work. Exactly. I do just want to make a comment about the line, assassination with a college girl. That's quite gross. (laughs) There are some really gross lines in this album. It's a bit, yeah, there are some gross moments by Walter Becker. (laughs) And we got Chris Potter on tenor sax, who's in this album a lot. Yeah. Again, familiar territory. And Chris Potter's like had a really great career on his own. There was a record that came out, I think in 2019, called Circuits by him, which is an absolutely phenomenal record. I listened to it quite a lot when it came out. And I think I played it on my show. I definitely played a track off it on my show mm-hmm. when it came out. Because when I saw his name in the credits, I was like, I know that name. And then obviously looked it up and was like, oh, it's that dude. Oh, And he's got like a really free sounding sax solo in this song, hasn't Mm, he? Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. One of the reasons why I enjoy this album so much is because it does feel familiar to me. Steely Dan is here in in spirit. There is some kind of spiritual Steely Dan stuff going on. Yeah. But with the whole kind of dub reggae direction makes it uniquely Walters. 
yeah, he kind of stamps his own identity onto this mm, record. Yeah, he does. That's your take on it. We open this song about door number two. So we know there's a second door. So that's the ambiguity, isn't it? Is the character going to do what they do? Or is there a second door? There's another possibility. And we never know between the two. This song is like Schrodinger's cat. And then because that last verse is, you know, it's a guy that's like, he's done it all. The last line of that verse, a firm appointment with the late show. That's death is there a second door what's this what's the second door of that guy's story it's about chance isn't it yeah i still think it's connected to the song circus money i think the parallels are too strong to ignore i know that he wouldn't have done anything like that not deliberately i think there's a certainty in circus money that isn't in this song yeah okay it feels like parallel universes that exist in this album there's another example of it as well later on mm in fact, is it even the next song, Downtown Canon, which starts very curiously with that oh. kind of bossa nova intro. And you're like, what the hell's going on here? You've got that. It almost sounds like a, I know I talk about my Bon Tempe keyboard demo. <laughs> it sounds a little bit like that. And then it fades in. Yeah. It's got and then, it's, boom, reggae. <laughs> yeah. Because it's got this really dreamy, like pad sound. Yeah. With a drum machine under it. And you're just like, what's going on? Yeah. And then you just have this massive drum sound comes in. I cracked the code. It's, it's such a big drum sound compared to what was happening before it. It completely catches you off guard. Yeah, You've never uh, listened to it before. You're like, what the fuck? And then just that amazing bang, like, I cracked the code. And it's just, I've just become so addicted to this song just because <laughs> of how it opens. <laughs> It's such a state, like just the way he says it, the way he puts that line across. Mm. It's such a massive bang statement. We're in a reggae song. Mm -hmm. And it's not even, it's not cod reggae. It's not the police. No, none of it's cod though, is it? It's absolute genuine reggae. Mm. And I know a lot of people are just like, oh, white person reggae, like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. But music is for making. And if you want to make a reggae song, you better make it good. Yeah, just don't have dreadlocks if you're white. Yeah. You've mentioned this before. Yeah, don't have dreadlocks. Please, we beg you. And so, Jesus Christ, this song. This was the first song that kind of knocked me for six because it has got a lot of pertinent lines in it. There is a lot of references. And what I do find weird is he is so obviously talking about him and Don all the way through this record but he turns Don into a woman, maybe to throw us off the scent. There is no doubt in my mind that this whole song is about Don and their relationship. Really? Okay. Yeah. Fuck. Because... I didn't get that at all. Did you not? No. But now you're saying it, I'm like, oh, fuck. It's that... You know why? <laughs> it's because I'm morbidly obsessed with the line, making some crazy soulful love on the hardwood floor. I hate that line. Yeah, it's horrible, it. isn't it? I hate it so much, but Green Street. Yeah, a reference to Green Street. And Green, Greenflower Street. Yeah, Greenflower Street, Green Street. But Green Street is like a really big jazz reference, that in itself, isn't it? Yeah. Because Green Street what is like a block in New York City, isn't it? And mm -hmm. it's it was just part of the jazz scene in, in New York City. Yeah, so typical Walter was just like, yeah, there's no meaning. I just really wanted to live 
in a loft in Green Street and I wrote a song about it. <laughs> Such a liar. Nice try, Walter. Yeah. You hung a picture of young Dizzy on the wall. Cutting me, that was the best day of them all. I like to think that's like Don introducing Walt to jazz. Okay. And I know there's like all this weird kind of in love. I, I kind of feel like they're red herrings. There's some like smoke and mirrors in this song because then it says, Hey, don't let them kill you. Stay cool and be all right. Don't trade the day for tomorrow. Tomorrow for tomorrow night. You chop wood, carry the water. Sometimes be that way. No lie, the downtown can so. That's about him realizing that he wasn't in the moment enough when they were writing with Steely Dan. So I was mulling over the concept of canon because yeah. I was like, is this canon in terms of like the work? Yeah. Or. Is it about his penis? A canon in his penis? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) No. (laughs) The canon as in in music. So, a canon, like this idea of it's it's around, isn't it? Yeah. Canon in music theory. It's catch you on the turnaround. It's this idea of this cycle of something happening over and over. You've really thrown me with this take about it being about Dom. Me head's chocker. I did say that I had some really big takes on these songs. Yeah, you've got some big takes. I feel like this is going to be my holy shit episode. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought that Green Street is almost like everything that happens in the song is almost like in, not necessarily like a parallel universe, but in a similar universe to Greenflower Street. Because Greenflower Street, they talk about kind of losing time, being in this room together and all this kind of thing. And I I just sort of had this image of this apartment was the same apartment that they were in in Greenflower Street. So maybe it was the same place, but later on, that's my sort of superficial take on it, that it's just about a a, a girl he fell in love with. She fucks off with some cokehead. There's two layers to this song. That's how I feel. And I don't know if it's like a conscious and a subconscious, mm. whether he even realised how close it was to talking about Don. Yeah. Maybe I'm just way, way too into this now. <laughs> Do you know what? When I was writing my notes up, I every single time I listen to a song by Steely Dan for the first time or whatever, I'm always like, is this about drugs? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like whip out the Steely Dan flow chart. Yep, here's the, here's the flow chart. What drugs it about? Because I don't think there are any songs about drugs on this album. Well, it does say cocaine dreams in this Yeah, song. but it's not about cocaine though, is no, it? No, it's not. No. Yeah, there's no direct strung out doing drugs. No. None of the characters are, are doing drugs. Well, not to our knowledge. I feel him saying about the downtown canon because it says so wild, so fresh, so free. It's about that direct source that they were plugged into, writing all of those amazingly big, beautiful songs that they've written Mm. together. Mm. 
I did wonder because then in, in the next verse, because it's it talks about meeting a half-crazed pains in a bar and then there's cocaine dreams and Chiba nights. You had to share his world in shades of black and white. Black and white is a piano. Mm-hmm. So. Mm, yeah. It's Don. It's Don. <laughs> and then he just like throws away a reference to. Oh, oh God. Everything you did. Yeah, everything you did. Yeah. But is that just referencing the name of the song? My brain's working at a million miles an hour now. <laughs> I tell you, but, this record is packed. Yeah, there is a lot. There is a lot in this record. It then goes on to him and Don breaking up. All these references, Dylan and Man Ray and yeah. James Joyce. I'm leaving with all I need, but less than I deserve. That, sa- that sounds like a sort of an acrimonious yeah. breakup, doesn't it? Yeah. It definitely is. And, and it's, it all goes wrong in a hurry. You know it's the second law. It all goes wrong in a hurry. You know it's the second law. Written large in the downtown cannon. Goes up and must come down. Right here, the downtown cannon. Catch you on turn around. That's a reference to Newton's second law of gravity which is just so throwaway and Newton's second law of gravity or it's the second law of like thermodynamics which is the total entropy isolated system can never decrease over time and is constant if and only all processes are reversible wow if that isn't about the writing partnership yeah of Don and Walt then I might as well just erase this whole season because I've probably got everything wrong. I don't think you've got everything wrong, John. This is blowing my mind. It goes up and it must come down. Yeah. Mm. I think there's part of me that doesn't want to imagine them being unhappy with each other. But they were. They didn't make a record together for nearly 20 years. Yeah. By the end of the 70s, Walter was strung out. Mm. He was gone and Don just carried it on and made an incredible record. Mm. And what was nowhere to be seen. Mm. He was hanging out in Hawaii listening to China Crisis. Well, you know, there were worse things to do. Oh yeah, for sure. He could have been listening to, I don't know, Dire Straits. Yeah. Dean Parks is on this one. Dean Parks is on this, which is a really nice guitar solo. And, you know, when you listen to the music that's going on behind the groove... Everyone's playing, like, there's a lot of colour going on. There's so much going on in all of the songs. Yeah. Even when it sounds a little bit Spartan. Yeah, if you really listen to what's happening. Amazing shit going on in the background. Yeah. I hate to be that kind of dude where you really need to listen to this record. But But you do, and you need to listen to it with headphones, because otherwise you'll just miss how rich it is and how beautiful, so beautifully mixed. Yeah, that's, well, it's Elliot Scheider. That's why. There you go. It's Elliot Scheider who, you know, we've heard his work on Nightfly. We've heard his work on the last two, Steely Dan. We've had his work on Morph the Cat. I just wish that maybe he'd had a, a hand in Kamakiriad. We don't talk about Kamakiriad, John. <laughs> <laughs> but this song is just, I'm just, 
completely in love with it. Oh, I'm going to have to go away and have a think about it, aren't I? <laughs> uh, but there is one thing more to mention, which both of us picked up on. I think pretty much at the same time, I think I, if I recall, we pretty much texted each other the same thing at the same time. And it's the auto-tune. Yeah. So it's interesting. The first time I listened to it, I really noticed the auto-tune. And there was another moment, I think later on, where I thought, ah, there's another bit of auto-tune. Yeah. Now I'm like, actually, this is a really good album. I've just completely overlooked that now. Yeah. It is annoying, though. It is. I thought that, you know, where we are now in 2021 pop music is all auto-tune. Like people have got really good at auto-tune. Auto-tune is an art in itself. Mm. And and it, it's endemic. They obviously just weren't as good as using it. They should have got somebody in to smooth it out a little bit because it's not a very smooth transition and it really sticks out in this song in certain Yeah, but this, this was made in 2008 though. So it's like 13 years old. I yeah. forget. Once again, I keep forgetting that 2008 was two years ago. <laughs> no, it certainly wasn't. <laughs> it might feel like it was, but it yeah. certainly wasn't. No, it wasn't, was it? And... But yeah, but that but it's a very small nitpick. Yeah, it's a tiniest nitpick. I don't think he needs to do it though. I feel sad that he felt it necessary to auto-tune his voice. It's just a bit of vanity, isn't it? I think maybe he just knew how bad 11 tracks of work was <laughs> deep down yeah. in his heart. I mean, this is quite the comeback. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, there, there, there is no way that you could listen to 11 tracks of work Listen, you know, for the first time, like say if, you know, some people like came over to my house and I was like, right, we're going to sit down and listen to this record. And they would just, we'd get, we'd probably get two songs in and they'd be like, turn it off. And I'd be like, no, yeah, you'd get to a junkie girl and just be like, yeah. no, that's enough. Just be like, turn it off. <laughs> and then by the time we get to the end of that record, if I was like, right, I'm going to put on the next Walter Becker solo record they'd be like fuck off man like <laughs> I'm never coming round here ever again you've insulted me you've insulted my family you've ruined my life you've ruined my life and to be quite honest with you I'm just going to fucking ghost you the minute I walk out the door <laughs> and that's it and then I would sit here by myself with my kick-ass stereo and be like I fucking love this record oh I'm glad you really <laughs> love this record John it's the thing that I thought I would ne would never happen. I was quite surprised when you messaged me. Because <laughs> um, I, I actually said to you, I've just fallen in love with Circus Money. Yes. And you were like, blimey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't say I've fallen in love with it myself yet. But I have a very different opinion of it now than I did. Like polar opposite opinion. Yeah. To, to the first listen, which was, oh my God, what's this? Yeah. So. Moving on. Bob is not your uncle anymore. I find this song title inherently amusing. Yeah. When you look at it, you're just like, that is a terrible title. That's what I think, but I don't think that now. I So there's a couple of moments where he's sort of using British slang in this he says pissing down with rain at some point later yeah. on, which I find quite unusual because, you know, Bob's your uncle. It's like a British 
He says China plates later on as well, which is like mates. Yeah. But yeah, Bob's your uncle. Bob's your uncle means everything's great. Everything's easy. Everything's fine. Should point out, this is full dub. This (laughs) This is full on dub. This is like Black Ark Lee Scratch Perry. Yeah, it's full on. Like completely kind of been built up to it. Yeah. Down canon. And then you think, oh, you know, that's it. Boom. completely caught me off guard when I listened to this the first time. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> it is really good. Yeah. Really good dub. Really enjoyable to listen to. It's beautifully mixed and produced. I really like it. And it's such a sad song as well. Yeah. You know, I, I wish the whole album sounded like this. Well, you you wish you'd done a full dub yeah. album. I'd like someone to do, to make the whole dub remix of this record. Okay. We know a guy. <laughs> We do know a guy. <laughs> we know a guy. Let's get on to Wrong Tom. <laughs> but it's a song about death. Yes. This is where I got confused because I was like, it's an old house. Is it an old house? Because he talks about his dog who's still there. But the yeah. dog, dogs don't live very long. So I was like, oh, what does a dog mean? This is where I kind of was like, I don't understand what this song means. Because it can't be an old house because the dog's there and the dog's always been there. The dog doesn't live very long. Dogs live like you know, 10, 15 years. And that's what kind of threw me about that. But it talks about winters here, reminiscing about good old games, like they play them back in town. It's, but then going back to the house and all the doors are locked. I, I wasn't sure whether this was about something like abuse. I wasn't sure. To me, it's about going back in your mind to like an older part of your life when maybe things were good. But the fact that like Bob is not your uncle anymore, things are now hard. And so it's kind of like a reminisce. He's going back to these places as if they were there now, you know, thinking that he's going to these places, but it's all changed. Mm. Winners here in the day don't last too long. Barely thimbles for the sunshine. That is about death. That line is beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. That little couplet is amazing. Mm. The songwriting on this album is quite astonishing. Yeah. Regardless of the themes, regardless of the meaning, because that line, it's so evocative. It does make you think of imminent ending. Things are winding up. You know what the next thing is. And you can't stop it. And you can't stop it. So when he says... So we see that you can find your way back home And that maybe when you get there There's a lock on every door Now you know for certain What the big wide world is good for And that Bob's just not your So when he's saying you can find your way back home, he's talking about, like I was saying, him going back physically 
to these places where he has these memories, but he's mm. doing it all like in his mind. And hence the dog. The dog's hence, fine. Yeah, the dog's Cause fine because it's in the past. Exactly. And the lock on every door is the fact that he doesn't have access to these places and that the, the big wide world, you know what the big wide world is good for is because it's about opening new doors. It's about mm. going to new places and having access to new places. You can go back physically to your old life, mm. but things will have changed, which kind of strikes it for me in my situation now where I'm living back in my hometown. Mm. And it's a similar thing. Things aren't the same as they were, but I have all these memories of what mm. it was and I'm just in it like every day. Yeah. And so I can kind of like really relate to that, but hopefully that doesn't mean there's an ocean full of midnight rolling right up to the door. Um, but you are near the sea. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a beautiful song about just looking back and, you know, having these fond memories. Mm you know you can't go back. There's no way. It has a really amazing dub breakdown in it as well. Yeah, it does. all drops away and there's some, mm. some really nice delayed rim hits and the bass is like really nice and there's little bits of like vocal that come in like a high woman's voice just like ooh, ooh, really high in the mix mm. and just little nice keyboard stabs and stuff oh, it's just beautiful you don't pick it up on like the first go yeah so much to hear there's so yeah. much to listen to but I don't feel like anything's wasted the playing is the kind of sound that you hear when you have a bunch of well-seasoned musicians in yeah, a room. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. You've yeah. got musicians at absolute, not even at the top of their game anymore, not even because I think top of their game, you can be at the top of your game when you're young and hungry, but then once you're so well kind of accomplished, everything's just easy. Yeah. And that's how it feels. Everything yeah. feels everyone's like relaxed. Kind of, and, everyone's sliding in and out of each other. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that sounds like really pornographic, but... That is pornographic. <laughs> That's but... going to be on our True Crit Nights <laughs> podcast series where we swear more and talk about... Oh, no, you mentioned penis earlier. Yeah, it's it's like where we read out our Steely Dan fanfic. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Downtown <laughs> Canon. <laughs> Steely Dan fanfic. Yeah, yeah, that's our late night Steely Dan fanfic podcast because oh, canon the theory of canon is also in fanfic as well yeah yeah <laughs> yeah crack the code yeah <laughs> crack the code so oh, upside looking down this just to me is just a reasonably lengthy character assassination this is the most honest song in the steely dan back catalog go he is pointing the finger at himself right the way through this song. He is not pointing the finger at anyone else but himself. He knows exactly what he's done in his life. He has deep regrets about what went down. And this is the song where I I was just like, I hope this song finishes in the mix. If it goes on like a minute longer, I'm going to cry for the rest of the oh. night. It's, I think the song's beautiful. Yeah, I think 
you are right about it being about himself. It's the one line about strung out on his own stash of grief, a line for you, a flake for me. Yeah. It feels very much like he's talking to himself when he was younger. Yeah. 100%. It opens where he came on like some blazing supernova with a flame that burns so brightly in the sky. Well, you came on like some blazing supernova With a flame that burns so brightly in the sky That's that run of records. That's from yeah. Can't Buy a Thrill to Gaucho. The Gaucho. And then you woke up and your long white night was over mm. and you cursed the world that dared to pass you by. Yeah. So he's kind he's- of like initially angry that everything's over and that he blames the ones who love you for your sorrows, dealing dirty he's, while he's you like, steal the higher ground. He's like self-diagnosing as having a narcissistic personality yeah, disorder. Just being, yeah, or just being just a fucking asshole. He had a terrible heroin addiction and he had real problems with it. Yeah. And addiction is a very, very complex thing. And it can make people very, what's the word, like self-focused. And it feels as though he's kind of looking back on those times and looking back on that period of his life where he was like, holy shit, what a fucking disaster. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it feels like he is referencing his addiction. Yeah, and just the end of that magnificent career. Mm-hmm. And But then he's like, but you punked out on yourself. You can't blame nobody else. Now that you're standing on the upside looking down. Yeah. Where he's actually able to step back from all of that. Yeah. And see it for what it was. Exactly. It's like a real like therapy moment. Yeah, so to me, there's like a a vibe in this song which reminds me a bit of either She's Like the Wind (laughs) (laughs) or Boys of Summer by Don Henley. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. It's got that kind of, which is odd because it came out in 2008, but it does feel like it could have been made in the 80s. Yeah, it's it's, because like Boys of Summer is a similar theme song, isn't it? Yeah. It's about recognizing that like the world has changed and you have changed and just all of it's like a light bulb moment isn't it because mm-hmm. i always think of the line that sticks out f- for me the most in boys of summer is when he talks about seeing a dead head sticker on a cadillac mm. he says out on the road today i saw a dead head sticker on a cadillac a little voice inside my head said don't look back you can never look back And then he says, I thought I knew what love was. What did I know? Those days are gone forever. I should just let them go. This is a similar vibe. It's about self-reflection, isn't it? And it's about forgiving yourself. Yes. And it's about knowing that time is done, that you can't dwell on it anymore. It's it's finished. Yeah. Like you've got your life now and your life is better because, and he recognizes that as well because he says all at once it seems so clear. You can see it all from here. 
when you're standing on the upside looking down. Mm. And so it's like that time is, is crystallized. It's, he's kind of fully separate from it now. It's very poignant, isn't it? Yeah. That's why I said it. it's the most honest song mm. that either of them have written. And it just blows me away how honest it is mm. because there aren't that many songs. Well, sorry, there aren't many songs like this. The real, true self-confessional and in such a poetic way. Mm. I kind of want to give him a hug because mm. it does feel like he's going through something. Yeah. Not just on this song, but this whole album. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Maybe mm. maybe he had had a long period of therapy. Yeah, he could have done. Sort of the progress that you make in therapy allows you to look back on what's happened Yeah, and not like ignore it and not kind of let go, inverted commas. It's kind of accepting what happened. Yeah. And, and, clo- and, cl- and closing it and Yeah, but then understanding that it's, it. it's part of you. Yeah, it's part of you, yeah. Welcome to True Crit Therapy Sessions. <laughs> That's a new one. Add that to the mood board. Yeah, I will keep do. Keep saying that. I keep saying that. Oh, I did want to talk about Dean Parks' solo in this because it is beautiful. Like, it's so soft and gentle. I just love it. It's really unexpected as well. Because, you know, not unexpected, but Ding Parks usually kind of belts out some crazy solos. But this one is really just goes so perfectly with the song. Yeah, it's understated. That's what I I put in my notes. Very understated. And just... There's some chords in there that, like, I felt were kind of like gaucho-esque. Oh, really? Yeah, there's like a, there's a kind of gaucho-ness kind of phrasing in some of the chords mm. that I picked up on. And he, and this is the song where he kind of sings in a bit of a higher register as well in the chorus, yeah. which I think just works so well because it, it just makes him sound so vulnerable. It's such a great choice. Mm. It's just, this is just a beautiful, beautiful song. He does veer between vulnerability and I don't think, I, I need to find a better word than cynicism because there isn't any cynicism on this album. I don't think he is being cynical in this album at all. He he has this kind of like wisdom, I guess. I think that's probably. Yeah, you kind of don't get like the sneeriness no. that you have in, in, in older, well, not, not even older because the last two Steely Dan records are like, there's some really sneery horrible stuff in those records and so but you just don't get that in this record no it's 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 great it's great and then we move on to paging audrey Mm. which i find is the most disarming song i find this incredibly disarming because it's it feels i think it feels like a a steely dan song but in the same way as the night belongs to mona in morph the cat it's actually not cynical at all. And it's actually, I don't know, it's quite sad. Yeah, this song is super sad. Yeah, there's kind of like a wistful yearning, I think. In I like how, because we've barely talked about this record. I've talked about it to you. Well, you've just talked to me not at all before we had this conversation. No. I've just made little things because I just had to say something. But I like how we both picked up on, on the Steely Dan because my notes actually say super 
Afghan vibes. Yeah, it's very powerful. Yeah, on this one. And but then the lyrics aren't though, are they? They're not Steely Dan type lyrics. Oh no, really no. Sad, like a breakup regret song. I think this is like kind of like a character. It's not necessarily coming directly from Walt in the same way that the previous song was. And it's maybe it's like a guy that's just maybe just feeling really alone and he's just remembering the best relationship that he's had. Mm. And he's almost trying to will her, manifest her mm. back to him. I get the impression he's living in the same house and it's just the fact that she's not there. And, and the reason mm. why I think that is because he, in the last verse, he says... I picture it as a big house and he's almost living in a different part of the house mm. and the memories are locked away somewhere in, in, in another part of the house. But that's kind of, that links a little bit back to Bobby's not your uncle anymore. Yeah. Yeah. There are like, there are definitely these kind of themes, aren't there? Of, mm. yeah. of being in a time or being in a space mm. and kind of these swirling kind of regret and longing Mm. And well, walking through door, what could door number two have been? Well, yeah. How many doors were there? Paging is an interesting use, uh, an interesting word. Yeah. Because paging is a very old, even in 2008. Were people still paging each other in 2008? I don't know. I never owned a pager. I neither did I. Landline for me. <laughs> I had a mobile by 2008. Landlining Audrey wouldn't be <laughs> like, as, as good. Yeah. Postcarding Audrey. <laughs> Telegram. Yeah. Anyway, other methods of communication are available. Have you heard the demo version of this? No. Oh, what? there's a demo. Yeah, there's a demo version. It's on YouTube. You should check it out because it's really interesting because it's obviously completely stripped back and it's just him on a keyboard playing yeah. all the bits and pieces. But this is obviously beautiful, but then the, the demo, once you get past, because it's unusual to hear water singing over the top of something that's completely synthesized. Mm. It's very stripped back and very simple. And it's actually really lovely once you kind of get over the whole drum machine bit, because it's yeah. done on a drum machine and a, and a keyboard, but you should check it out. It's, it's worth a listen, but I keep going back to this idea of poignancy. Mm. There's so much poignancy and regret and yeah. sadness and all of these songs. And because he, this was his last recording, you know, on his own. Was it his last recording, full stop? Yeah. That just makes me feel really sad. Mm. But then, you know, like we, we talked about in Everything Must Go. Them like wrapping it up. They knew, didn't yeah. they? They knew because... They knew it was going to be the last album. The whole album was just, yeah, literally, we're going out of business. Everything must go. Yeah. And they start name-checking Dave Palmer. Yeah. And it's actually made me realise, just going back to Downtown Canon and what that song's about, they weren't afraid of bearing a grudge, were they? No. <laughs> like, they wouldn't get over Bard College. Yeah, it for, took them like fucking four albums. Yeah, for them to get over it. I think... 
it does just generally make me feel quite sad. Yeah, so it's an absolute wrecking ball of a record. Yeah. When he talks about... In that far off room, drenched in desert sun, evil words were spoke, dirty deeds were done. Could we sell back? That's such, such a powerful image, yeah. such a powerful idea. When you've had an argument with somebody that you love and you say things you regret, that's what you want to do. You want to kind of go back in time and just undo what you've done because of the pain that you've caused yourself and then the person that you love. Yeah. And, um, some, and sometimes those words are like, it's too late once they've come yeah, out of your mouth. Too much. You can't take them back ever. Yeah. Nothing you say will... Yeah make it right it's like the power of your actions isn't it yeah chris potter yeah another sax solo from him yeah everybody's solos on this just fucking great aren't they yeah and but they're not like big and flashy they just fit the song Circus money, the contentious. I like, I'm going to say titular again because I like saying tit. <laughs> the titular number. Yeah. My first note on this is this links back to door number two. <laughs> 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 because it's picking up the narrative thread, the gambling, there's cups again, the money, the value increases through each verse. So you start off with, with no money in the first verse. He says he doesn't have a nickel mum or whatever he says. It's because he's a child. Yeah. But then the next verse, he's talking about pennies. And then the third verse, he's talking about dollars. So in parallel with the first one, she doesn't have any money. She's going to Vegas to win some money. Yeah. Second verse, he is trying to win money. He's a little bit older, probably got some cash. And then the third verse, he's minted because he's in the Bahamas or wherever. Yeah. And then the third verse, and this is where we're talking about dollars instead of pennies or nickels. Yeah. Where I said that, because obviously you have that ambiguity in door number two, because you're presented with these scenarios and then we're talking about a second door, you know, the other door, the other possibility, because mm -hmm. it's the circus of life, isn't it? That's what it's yes, referencing. It's not an, a literal circus. No, it's the circus of life. And he says, little Walter's got a way to go. He actually is almost like he's writing about himself. Yeah. There's a couple of things, because there is one thing that I wanted to ask, because the first verse is just, it's obviously him as a child. And then the second verse is like him as, you know, prime of his life. When he says, let me hit you, honey, sweet and low. Mm. Hold steady, baby, there you go. Let me hit you, honey, sweet and low. Thus the tab is written over blow. Circus money for the what do you think that's about? Fuck knows, mate. I got really stuck on that one. Is he talking about sex? Possibly. Sweet and low. Let me hit you, honey, sweet and low. Thus the tab is written blow by blow. 
probably is. I think it is. It probably is. And it's the tab is like the love. And, and I just like that each verse, so the first verse ends with circus money for the early show and then it's circus money for the evening show. Mm. So it's kind of, you know, he's approaching the evening of his, of his life. life. And then the last verse is he just knows everything. It's familiar terrain. It's like all the horses, all the men around the circle and around again. So yeah, I know mm-hmm. all of this. Mm-hmm. And you watch some hobo take a nasty spill, laugh like a bastard. He's just like, you know, almost doesn't care about other fellow men. And then got to have it when you first walk up, you drop a dollar in the old tin cup. You're going to need it when it's time to go. Paying the ferryman. Yes. Okay. Correct. Circus money for the late, late show. So he's yeah. again referencing this late, late show on American TV. Because you have the late show, don't you? Yeah. Which is like, on some channels, there's another show after that, which is the late, late show. And, and so I kind of like the fact that you kind of, it's just beyond, you know, where you should go. It's the absolute end. Like after that is static. Yeah. After that is get stuffed. Yeah. One for the kids there. Go to bed. Yeah, it's time for bed. The eternal sleep. I think this one stands out the most musically on the whole album. It sounds very different to the other songs. It's quite powerful. I feel like it has a different energy to the other songs. It's just a really well-written song. There's not a line out of place on this song. No. It doesn't outstay its welcome. You know, we've leveled that against a lot of songs like post-Gaucho. It's just a really clear, well-written, clever song. I kind of want to sit him down though and ask him. That's what I want to do with both of them, really. I wish she was still alive. They would tell us to to fuck off. I'd just charm them, John. I'd be like, come on, spill the beans. Just whack out a bottle of... Or Pinot. We're in for a long night, lads. Yeah. (laughs) And that, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, it's me, John. Just popping on here to remind you that this is part one of a part two episode. So we will be back next week to discuss the remainder of this album. It's a bit of a long chat, but I'm sure you'll agree there's a lot to talk about. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.